Welcome back to Chit Talk, where we talk about really good shit. My name is Annika. And my name is Rithu. Follow us on our socials, here to Chit Talk and Instagram for sneak previews, audio clips, and more. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. We just wanted to let you know that this is a trigger warning for our listeners. This episode will contain discussions of racism, xenophobia, social activism, and a touch on mental health issues. We want to create a safe space for our listeners. So if you are feeling overwhelmed by news and recent events or need a break from all the noise, please feel free to skip this episode. Welcome back to Chit Talk. We're so excited for you to meet today's guests. Priscilla Adjuman is a holistic mental health activist who is also the founder of Sadie Baddies, a community of women destigmatizing mental health. This platform catered towards women of color, uses carefully curated content and research-based topics to shift mental health discourse as something to discuss in the everyday. In this week's episode, we will be talking about mental health in the BIPOC community, the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement almost a full year since its international height following the George Floyd murder, the role of social activism and the way it plays with our sense of self and what we can do to support the movement. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Priscilla. It means a lot and we're so excited to get to know you. And yeah, let's let's get right to it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. so excited to sit down and talk with you both. So tell us a bit more about yourself and what what kind of got you started with Sadie Baddies and how you got into the mental health space? Yeah. So I have been someone that is, has always been interested in psychology and kind of like behavior and just how people and humans act. But I didn't pursue that route in college. I actually was a biology major um, for undergrad and it got my bachelor's of science um, in biology. And if you know anything about being a STEM major, it's so hardcore. And a lot of a lot of my classmates, I, I also witnessed were going through burnout, we're going through anxiety, imposter syndrome, depression, like, you know, and these are all things I can name now. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't know the words for any of that. I just saw like, all of us super stressed out, not taking care of ourselves, pulling all nighters, myself included. So it, I think my interest really peaked in college, you know, me and my peers were all kind of going through similar experiences, but I would say mine was particularly unique, just being that I am first generation American and there's an added pressure to fit in for the, you know, I think anyone who is first generation American can kind of identify with feeling other and feeling like you don't belong and that you're not American enough or you're not, you know, insert your ethnic background enough um, to fit in. And so I was dealing with an identity crisis in that sense. Um, and I was also dealing with just trying to adapt and adjust to the pressure of being a college student and trying to do really well and make new friends and fit in. And I definitely struggled with my um, with my mental health in college. I was suffering with panic attacks and anxiety. Um, I didn't have any coping skills whatsoever. I just would freak out and then like, you know, cry and get exhausted and then just try to pick myself back up before my next, my next exam, which is what I did for literally four years five years actually. 
And so, yeah, when I started graduate school, I got my master's in public health from Mount Sinai in New York City. And um, I started grad school in 2017, finished my program in 2019. And within those two years, I completely transformed as a person, as a woman, um, as a Black woman. I reinvented myself. I rediscovered myself through therapy, through my own spiritual journey, and by starting Sadi Baddies, which I started in 2019. That's awesome. Congratulations, by the way, on finishing both your <laughs> programs. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So what inspired you to start Sadi Baddies and become a mental health activist? Yeah, I think, you know, to be honest, I mentioned seeing like classmates struggle with their mental health but also just on a personal level like friends of mine and people I was close with were talking about their mental health especially I would say Tumblr was one of the spaces that I feel like people were really candid and open about their mental health Mm -hmm. like maybe even so much the fact that yeah it was very raw and very like I'm going through this or like you know um, I feel lonely or I feel not safe and not seen so I think starting with that aspect of social media like seeing that there is this other side of like whoa not everyone is happy like you know on Facebook and Instagram all you saw was like the the highlight reel but on Tumblr I felt like yeah I feel like on Tumblr and Twitter you saw people how like what they were really going through and how they really felt so for me I was like all right well there's spaces but there it's not a collective space you know it's kind of people just like shouting into the void and I was searching for a space I was like wait where I don't see any spaces that break down like topic by topic like what each lived experience of dealing with your mental health is actually like like what does it look like you know and I also came up the name Sadie Baddies because um my nickname in college was Batty P and everyone (laughs) used to call me Batty P which is you know funny and you know deep down I was like yeah I may look like everything's fine like my exterior might look fine and nobody would suspect that I was dealing with all the heavy emotions and feelings I was dealing with so those two identities combined of being someone that is dealing with real emotions and and sadness and and fear and anxiety and all these things that I was struggling with, but also being someone that people didn't think would deal with those things because mental health is only portrayed, is portrayed in such a singular way in our media, especially both social media and like, you know, magazines, TV shows. We, We only think of like, when I was 16, 17 years old, if somebody had a mental health breakdown it's like okay yeah like they they had to like go to a a psychiatric ward like not everybody that has anxiety ends up in a psychiatric ward not everybody that has depression ends up in a psychiatric ward it's not this linear binary thing you know so I wanted to create a space um, a sanctuary virtual sanctuary so that people from all over the world could you know come together and talk about mental health which is exactly how I mean we're talking here and we're not in the same city you know which is cool and we get to connect and find something in common and hopefully build community that way I think that's that's so resourceful and I think that's so incredible that you're taking the initiative to do that as well and I almost wish that I had that you know growing up um because I'm not from Vancouver I'm from Singapore and so I think in Asia there's 
and I've said this in, in previous episodes as well, but there's such a huge stigma about mental health and speaking about it as well, where I just don't think like back when I was in high school, there wasn't much discussion about it. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I, you know, I wasn't diagnosed for anything, but I think growing up and, you know, Rithu has seen me with, yeah. I guess, very minor panic attacks, but I, I've discovered myself um, that I have really bad anxiety. And I just wish I had a safe space that I could like connect with other people and talk to other people about this rather than, you know, thinking that this was normal for me because it isn't. And just sort of understanding what these emotions are, taking a step back and just reevaluating those those feelings and understanding what it is that I'm feeling at that time. But um, yeah, I just, I think that's so inspiring that you're actually doing this for other people our age as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, just another anecdote. I remember being on Tumblr at like age, what, like 19, 20 mm-hmm. and seeing people write like really heavy, like things on their, on their, on their profiles. And I remember one person I was following was writing about how they, also trigger warning for anyone who is, you know, dealing with self-harm thoughts. But I remember someone I was following at the time was expressing like self-harm thoughts and life-ending thoughts. And I like wrote them a message and was just like, please don't do that. Like you're important, you know, don't hurt yourself. I was so like, damn, like this is how people are really feeling. And I'm sure that Mm -hmm. person just goes to work like it's nothing, you know? So yeah, I think those like those kind of moments have all built and stacked on top of each other, in addition to my own experiences. And that's really what curated, uh, created Sadie Baddies for me. Yeah. And Annika knows this as well. Like, I think we've all had our our own experiences with just dealing with our mental health and even like last week Annika was bore witness to me having a full-blown panic attack and it was not great and I'm still like reeling from it but having discussions about mental health on a regular basis and just like talking about it actively just takes the stigma out of it. I so once, validating. Yeah. I once yeah. remember having someone say, you know, we go to the doctor every year for a checkup for our body, just like a physical checkup once a year. What's wrong with going yeah. to a therapist or a mm-hmm, counselor yeah. just to kind of check in on your mental health? Because just like your physical health, your mental health could deteriorate at any moment too. Right. I say that all the time, all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. What were some of the challenges or risks or any obstacles that you had to overcome to build and grow your community to, you know, the flourishing community that is today? I think one of my biggest limitations was like, where do I start? You know, I just started it. I was at my desk one day at a job that I actually ended up quitting because I was so miserable there. But I remember starting that page at my desk and being like, okay, I don't know where this is going, but God is telling me to create this and I'm going to just follow through. And I did. And I think when you do something with an intention, all I had was an intention. All I said was, I want whatever I create to benefit others. That challenge of like, okay, where do I start? Just start. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having a huge following. You know, Um, it's not about being an influencer, anything like that. Like to at least to me, that's not important. It's more so about 
how many people can you impact while you're mm-hmm. here on this earth? You know what I mean? Because so many, so many beautiful young people are have been taken from us so soon. And being getting older is a gift. You know, what can I do with the gift of being here and being in this body and in this earth? And like, how can I bless other people? Like that was my mission essentially. So one of the challenges was getting past that, which I did, but then another challenge was like, okay, what resources do I have? I don't have, like I, you know, the only income I had at the time was just my job. And I was like, all right, like I'm gonna just start somewhere. And I did, and I just, every, pretty much all my spare time became like, how do I develop Saudi baddies? How can I grow? Okay, let's add a blog, boom, let's have a YouTube channel, boom, okay, let's have a website. Like just started growing it like little by little, but I didn't do everything at once. Like everything came in stages and things will continue to grow in stages. Like I can't drop everything at one time. Like it's just not going to grow in the way that it should, you know? you when you're planting something, even like literally when you're planting a garden, things have to be in certain sections. You can't Mm -hmm. just throw the cherries and the tomatoes and the green peppers all in the same thing. No, they have to kind of have their own space to grow and nourish because they all need different things. So like, that's how I look at it. I look at Teddy Baddies as more of a plant than like a baby or something that I own. It's like, no, this is something I watered. I had plenty of the seeds. It's going to grow, but I'm not like attached to it. You know what I mean? So I think attachment is something that I let go of, which I'm glad I did. I'm over here, like taking mental notes for our own <laughs> podcast, like yes. to do for a podcast, blog, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and you have to figure out what works for you too. Like for mm. me, I'm not, I'm getting more and more comfortable with video. Like mm. I'm just not like a video person. Like I'm just, I'm Neither more of like I. a yeah I I would rather write yeah I'd rather write or I'd rather use pictures to tell a story but I'm getting used to it I'm learning to like get out of my shell but also I'm not going to force myself to be this TikToker and no shade honestly doing TikToks is hard as hell trust me it really is (laughs) it's it's so hard and it's just like that's not really my thing right now no maybe it will be in a a few months but like right now that's not my thing so I'm going to focus on what I do love and enjoy that actually got me thinking so i was uh looking at your saddie baddies page and you're doing Mm. a you have a partnership with nike what's going on blows my mind that's amazing so crazy that's so So exciting i'm crying um yes (laughs) that was honestly it was the collaboration I could have never imagined that was such a beautiful experience I mean I cried like a couple times just like either before we you know the production or afterwards like yesterday was actually the first day that the Sadie Batty Sanctuary the virtual the Nike um, exclusive Nike member experience the first the premiere of it was last night and like I went to my partner's house and he already had the laptop and like HDMI cable like set up so you could watch it full screen. I was just like, you know, like it just was so beautiful. And that was kind of, that was me seeing myself in a way that I haven't before. And it's like, I have been working really hard for the last two years. And I, because it's something that I love to do, like Saturday Baddies is just like, so like, I feel like I I know I have to do it because it is my life's work and it is 
my life's purpose. It doesn't feel like work to me, you know, but it is Mm -hmm. a lot of work. It's so much work. Yeah. I mean, I've covered over, over 75 topics. I've there's over over 300 posts on the page. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I'm not just like casually doing this. I'm treating this like a job, you know? And so I think collaborating with Nike was just such an honor. Cause I was like, wait, first of all, I love Nike. Like I have so much Nike, like, you know, items and things like that. But like, aside from just the, like the product part of it, like they have been doing a lot of really great work collaborating with, especially like black women and people of color who Mm -hmm. are doing really cool things in their community. So thank you. That was super, super cool. I just want tears and hard work (laughs) come to fruition. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, we both mentioned that it it would be nice if we had something like Saddy Baddies for us when we were teenagers, but what are some pieces of advice you could give to young POCs that are struggling with their mental health just generally or even because of the pandemic in itself? So one thing that is really important to me and for me is understanding that self-care is also community care and vice versa. So I can't do anything without my community, literally. I mean, Saddie Baddies would be nothing without the, the people, the individuals that make it what it is, you know? So I think one emotion that really can spiral into feeling so isolated and so depressed is loneliness and that's it's an emotion that I've really really battled with is in the in you know my early 20s especially I would say like from age like 21 to like 25 I was really dealing with that emotion and people would probably not believe me if I said that because I have a group of friends like I have you know right now in my life I'm 28 and I have a partner and like you know all these things and but I was really dealing with heavy waves of loneliness like soul crushing, you know, remembering that you are not alone, that you are part of an ecosystem, you know, just like the ocean and the moon and the solar system, the solar system, like, I mean, the word system is part of the reason why I remember I'm not alone. Like, it's not just planet earth. There's all the other planets and the moon and the stars, like everything works together and it's not in silos like you don't just exist on this planet by yourself you know so I think remembering that you are part of something bigger as well is really grounding and it helps you to not feel like you're like this weirdo or like okay nobody gets me because I guarantee you somebody else can understand and probably relate to what you're going through Um, so I think when it comes to especially people of color we are technically I mean if you look statistically we are a minority right like if you break it down by percentages like what is the percentage of black people in this country and um, Latinx people in this country etc you can feel like okay there's only 12% of us or 15% of us whatever but there's power in that there's power in numbers I mean there's so many examples of how community has come together to replace what I would say our government hasn't been able to provide for us. So I would say leaning on your community and also having a support system, like my support system is a lifeline for me. And my support system are individuals 
including my therapist as well, I would say is part of my support system, my family, my partner, my friends, my network. These are all people who help me remember who I am and not make me feel like I'm small, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially with, um, like you mentioned, loneliness. I think that's such a crucial thing for our listeners to understand, because I think in this day and age of being within just going through the uncertainty of life at the moment and with the pandemic, everyone's dealing with something and, you know, we don't know other people's story, but I feel like a lot of people, including herself, including, you know, myself and a lot of other people as well are dealing with loneliness just because we are feeling disconnected from other people, from loved ones, from family. So I think that's really crucial for our listeners to, uh, to know and just to understand. Yeah. And in addition to that, I think something that I did that I will, I would love to share is that when I was dealing with those waves of loneliness, what I did, I started to date myself literally like before, <laughs> before I was in a relationship before, you know, uh, I was dating myself. I literally would, I went to a concert by myself. Oh I my went gosh. To that sounds amazing. <laughs> And like, I mean, I went to this, I went to this like concert, but I went to a couple concerts by myself, but one in particular. And I, I remember feeling really awkward when I went there, but I was so proud of myself when I left. And I've been to like parties by myself. And like, people are like, are you here alone? Like people literally been like, like, <laughs> what, like went up to me, like, are you by yourself? I'm like, yeah. They're like, that's so dope. But I'm like, nobody wanted to come with me or like, you know, people were busy. But I wanted I to go. Still, but I still mm. went because I don't want to miss on that experience. And, you know, like challenging yourself to be I feel like if you're not comfortable with yourself like do like that you had that's all you have at the end of the day you know what I mean like you are you that's your body you have to be your own best friend at the end of the day you know so like I you know went to museums by myself movies I still love I mean I'm glad movie theaters are open again because that's like one of my favorite pastimes is going to movies for myself like being a loner is not always bad. Let me just say that. <laughs> it, can Honestly, be, it can be cool, you know, just to like hang out by yourself. Yeah, I I mean, Anakin knows this, but like for me, at least over the last little bit, I've just been doing more and more things by myself. And I'm, I'm a very extroverted person. I spend a lot of time with a lot of different people. So when the pandemic hit, I was like the first time we were in lockdown, I freaked out and I completely reorganized my room because I was like, ah, I need control <laughs> over something. Um, and that was then... me with um, banana bread, <laughs> with all the different types of banana bread yeah. that I was making. So seriously, all of us were collectively. So weird. <laughs> um, and then, you know, over time, I just, I got so used to spending time with myself that I actually actually started cherishing a lot of the time that I was spending by myself. And I was able to work on more things that I cared about that was specific to me that I didn't necessarily have the time for before because I was spending time with other people. So yeah, yeah I'm all for dating yourself too. Totally. And yes. like to your point as well, like I feel like, and this was me, you know, several years ago, I think, you know, I'm a completely different person now. Um, but I, you know, moving out here from Singapore and being alone, um, you know, with no other family members here, but obviously I have, you know, I'm very grateful for my friends like Rithu and, and other people as well. But I used to feel worried and lonely because I was single. And I think that's really crucial when you said you have to like learn how to date yourself and be okay yeah. with, being alone sometimes 
And now, you know, many, many years later, you know, I am here where I am now. And I love just cranking up the music, you know, doing chores by myself, cleaning, you know, I'm, you know, packing my things right now. I'm moving. Like I'm, I just love like doing my own thing, going on runs, you know, just focusing on me and having my own time. And I think that's, that's so beautiful. And the fact that people need to learn how to do that, it's, it's challenging and it's tough and you really have to put yourself first and you really have to remember that you can't rely on other people to build your happiness. You know, it really stems from within. Yeah. I mean, one of my highlights of like me, that era of me dating myself and honestly, I'm in a, I'm in a three-year relationship and I still, both me and my partner, we love like doing shit by ourselves, which is, I'm just so grateful that like he gets me and I'm like, all right, like I'm going <laughs> to go to the nail salon and get a massage. He's like, all right, I'm going to make some music. I'm like, perfect. This is great. Yeah. But like, you know, I think um, one of my highlights of, um, of that era was um, me going to the Whitney biennial and spending like almost three hours there just at the museum and just like looking at it. But I was like really, really intentionally looking at every piece of art that I was drawn to. And there was one painting, um, I cannot remember the, main, the name of the artist, but there was a painting of Philando Castile. Um, and it was so jarring, but also so moving that I was crying at the museum. Like I was literally crying. And I think having those moments to yourself is so beautiful and sacred because not only was I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, like I could have been here with someone else, but I don't know if I would have had that same reaction. You know what I mean? Mm. Because you're just so present and so in the moment that everything sinks in deeper. As we switch gears a little bit to discuss the Black Lives Matter movement that mm-hmm. has, you know, really taken the forefront of you know, social media and the news and just the Chauvin case that happened recently in the trial, I'm curious to know how have you got involved in the BLM movement over the last year? Yeah. So I things really shifted gears last year for all of us, but I think for black content creators, one really, it was like a bizarre kind of phenomenon where everyone was like, we're the black content creators. We need to uplift them and highlight them. And we're all like, we've been here for years. Where y'all been at? Like, you know, so that was kind of really weird. But at the same time, I think people were under, like for the first time on social media, I feel like it was unanimous rather than like, binary you know I think it was unanimously like no black lives matter we have to do something about this you know so for me I had always been talking about social justice and topics of racism and lived experiences as people of color because that is my lived experience like a big part of a lot of black people's racial I mean uh, mental health challenges come from racism duh you know so I took I took more time than I would say I have in the past, but I did start developing very specific topics centered around racial justice. Specifically, my topic on um, microaggressions, respectability politics, 
colorism, medical racism, environmental racism, but these are all things that I've been talking about, you know, and also in my graduate school program, we touched on environmental racism, you know, I've written papers about it, and so this wasn't being, these weren't topics that were new to me, but for a lot of people, this was new, like, this was their first time ever hearing about it, and, you know, especially with medical racism, people were like, whoa, whoa, and I'm like, I mean, there's so many books about it. My One of my favorite texts about it is Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. I mean, it's very hard to read, very hard to digest just because of all the atrocities that are described in it, but it is so important. And I wish it was taught as like literature, just like any other textbook. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I, I took a lot of time to to hold space for my community. This was not, it wasn't like Saudi baddies turning into PBS and educating, um, you know, white people specifically about their own whiteness. Like that's not what my focus is and that's not my job either as a black mm -hmm. woman. Like what I'm gonna do is preserve my mental health and my, my sanity, cause that's what I need to do. And um, that's what I did. And I did a lot of self-care, a lot of community care, a lot of sharing resources, boosting mutual aid organizations, just anything I could do with my platform is what I did last year, specifically in, in regards to Black Lives Matter. Because in, in the same way that protesting is extremely important to any social justice movement, so is rest rest is an act of resistance you know you can't you can't protest if you are dehydrated and malnourished and you don't you haven't taken you haven't had sleep in five days you know so I think that balance is so so important so I think everybody has a part to play when it comes to any social justice movement not everyone's going to be in the street protesting um however that doesn't mean you can't do something and I think mm -hmm. you have to find what it is you can do with the time and resources and energy you have and just do that thing. Yeah, I think it's really crucial as well to provide that space and hold that space for rest, like you mentioned before. We actually, in our previous podcast, right before this one, I think just a week ago, we had another guest on board to talk about the anti-Asian hate crimes. And mm -hmm. um, as I said in that episode, I had a colleague who just took some time off from work because she was just feeling very overwhelmed about the news and you know she was concerned about her parents because she's of Asian descent and I think finding that space to just separate yourself from the news and just everything that's going on at the moment because it can be so overwhelming is really important as well so absolutely yeah so with the height of the BLM protests and the movement happening almost one year ago, which is so crazy to think about, um, you know, this movement rippled across the globe in multiple countries. And um, Ruth, you can speak to this as well, because she went to one of the protests here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. How has this movement shaped the way we view social activism? Mm. That's a great question. That's a really, really good question. And thank you for asking that. I think, first of all, we saw that there's power in numbers, there's power in community, there's power in having your voices heard. Performative allyship does really nothing. <laughs> I think we've yeah. also learned that 
we need a collective agreement that it takes all of us, you know, Black people, Indigenous people, Latinx people, Asian people, like it takes all of us in order to get this ripple effect. Um, and of obviously white people, I think holding our white friends, our white neighbors, our white co-workers, holding them accountable in a way that they can reflect and look at the way that they have inherent privilege from the system that we have and how they can do better in supporting us and not just supporting us, but actually doing the work to dismantle this type of system that we have where racism is so interwoven into the fabric of America specifically, you know, pulling us up along the way is super important. And also just passing the mic, but also using their own mic to make the changes. There's certain things that I'm gonna just be completely candid. There's certain things that a white woman can say and do and get away with that I cannot. And I've seen it multiple times in real life and virtually just period. So using your privilege, just, you know, that, that is so key and that's so important because there are certain, there's certain action items that we have been trying to do for for decades that is just so hard because when you're a minority you do not have the same amount of power and influence you just don't yeah, it doesn't and- matter like yeah that goes back into respectability politics people you know i think one of the the realities we saw is people you know when 2000 in 2008 when obama was elected were in a post racial society we saw that that was not true whatsoever. We were just getting started, you know, for real. We were just getting started. I, re- I remember the day that I learned about Trayvon Martin, like it was yesterday. Like, you know, like I was in college and I think that's when we all were like, wait a minute, we're not post-racial. This is just a repackaged form of racism and we can film it. So now we have proof. Yeah. So I think social activism is different in the sense that I think you can protest virtually. I think you can protest, um, especially in just we have to remember, like not every single person has the ability to get out in the street and do these things. We have to be mindful of people who are disabled and who cannot physically do that for several reasons, whether it's chronic illness, whether it's mental illness or other barriers. So I I think that social activism is super important and so many, you can really learn and do so much by connecting with people who are already doing the work. Yeah. And I think it also just means for people to just really take initiative on educating themselves, not having other people educate the work and do the work for them. You know, they're taking the initiative themselves to go do the work themselves. And also, you know, maybe taking the time to learn about areas and organizations where they can donate or lend a hand and just do these different things. Because as you know, to your point, not a lot of people can go out there and protest. Like I wasn't able to protest. Um, you know, many other people weren't able to do that, but we're still trying to find ways where we you know we're pushing ourselves to try to help yeah. the, the movement and support it in any way possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually got me thinking because you said something about performative allyship just a couple of minutes ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a, a great topic of conversation for me and Annika. We we talk about it to great lengths. Um, 
And you also posted something about performative mm-hmm. allyship on Sadie Baddies yeah. recently. And it's something that I think is a point of just great debate for a lot of social media users, right? So I guess my question to you is how does the way we use social media act as a benefit or a detriment to a greater movement? Because sometimes, you know, sharing a resource, sharing an infographic is so, it does the job, it spreads the information, but other times it just completely hides a bunch of information. Like Blackout Tuesday is a perfect example of that, right? People were posting a black square with a hashtag Blackout Tuesday, and that completely negated information getting to the people that really needed it. So what are your thoughts on that? That's a great example. And I think just like what you just literally just shared with Blackout Tuesday, that's an example of performative allyship. Anyone can post a square, black square. It's not Mm -hmm. actually doing anything. Is it showing solidarity? Yeah, I guess. But at the same time, so many people had to search for resources. Okay, where can I get um, bottled water while I'm at this protest? Who can give me a ride? Is there a mutual aid group that's organizing to give protesters lunch like you know just things that we need like tangible things that we need that may not seem important but are crucial in in a time where people are literally like leaving their jobs to go protest and things like that um so I think in terms of um how it can be helpful is people can learn and you know I I do think that every single one of us is always in a constant phase of learning and unlearning however your learning curve can't be at the expense of (laughs) Black, Indigenous, Latinx, people of color, immigrants. I'm sorry, that learning curve cannot cost me my my life. Like it cannot. You have to do that on your own. And you also have to do it in a way that is urgent. Like the lack of urgency that I see sometimes when it comes to um, social justice and social activism is really disturbing to me because, you know, to me, it's very easy to post something. And sometimes you may not even be fully in alignment with it. Maybe you just see it because it's been floating around and you want to look like you are woke or you are in the know or you're, you know, aware of what's going on. However, have you read a book about it? My thing is, Mm. my fear is that I really feel like people aren't reading anymore, which is scary to me because all of this information that we see on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter is from literature and it's from people like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think to me, like the bite size, I need a little more sustenance, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And I think if you are only getting your information from social media, that's a problem because it's repackaged and it's also most likely biased at some point, you know? So when, when I make a topic about colorism or medical racism or uh, microaggressions, any of the topics that I've already shared, if you notice, I always, always, always include resources because that is not the end of the topic. That's not the end of the discussion. Like this is like the intro. Like my topics are like introductions to everything that is way deeper. Yeah, You know, like it kind of, it makes, I'm sure like James Baldwin's like rolling in his grave, like, oh my God, like this is not (laughs) it. You can't just like take like this tweet and like, yeah, like I'm a social activist. Like, no, you have to do the work. Part of the work is educating yourself. What, what are you doing outside of 
what I have shared or what other black content creators have shared or other community activists have shared, what are you doing outside of that to learn? Because if it cannot mm-hmm. just be from this social media, it has to be deeper. And documentaries are also a really beautiful way to learn. I love documentaries and I think they're so informative if you're not someone that has the time to read or likes to read books documentaries films going to museums I've learned so much going to museums like traveling do you know what I'm saying like you cannot end at a tweet that's dangerous Yeah. yeah it's dangerous literally so just having a more intentional way of learning that is outside of someone reposting something on their Instagram story and then you being like I'm an expert on this now because I read two tweets about it you are not no I'm sorry you are not and there's people that there's there's black women there's black men there are black non-binary folks that have gotten PhDs and master's degrees in Africana studies and and you think that a tweet is enough no it's not dig deeper yeah. And to, to add to that, that actually got me thinking. I also feel like half the time when we end up seeing these infographics, you know, based off of literature and things that we've read journals, you know, actual from people that are professors and people that have spent their entire lives studying it by the time it drips down into social media, it's almost diluted too, mm-hmm. because, you so know, diluted. it's diluted to the point where, and you know, people can hate on me for saying this, but I believe it. It's diluted to a point where it's making it easy for people to digest people to just sit with and like, be okay with just posting that one infographic because it's like, all right, cool. You know, I've shared this, I've done my part, but it's not talking by the time it drips down. It's not talking about the level of heartache, pain, suffering that people of color, BIPOC people have faced, right? It's not. It's really not. And that's my fear is that people are too comfortable with this repackaging and this dilution and the convenience of it and the bite-sizedness of it all. Like, no, it's not. And I, I'm, and I, I don't know if this comes from me being an academic because I am, I am somebody that, you know, I am educated and I have gone through over six years of schooling and and all of that and my my what I used to do was read journals like medical journals public health journals you know write 20 page papers my thesis was like 30 pages like you know what I'm saying so long form is not something that is difficult or unfamiliar for me but I also know that that is what makes somebody well-versed versus someone who's just touching and scratching the surface. And that's the difference between performative allyship and someone who's actually doing the work. That's how I feel about that. Yeah. Mic drop. (laughs) Off off the record, (laughs) off the record, I would love to hear your like, you know, book recommendations and documentary recommendations as well, which you can like send over an email later on. Cause like, I'd love to learn more about it as well. But yeah, like me and Ruthu have, you know, discussed this over and over again, but I had a really hard conversation with my boyfriend about it. And we were talking about, okay, so you post a black square. I was very much against it. And I was like, okay, so what? You post it because everyone else is posting it. It's a fad. Then what? What's going to change a week from now? What's going to change a month from now? You know, posting 
a black image on Instagram, what does that mean? How are you helping people? And I was asking these tough questions, which is obviously, you know, it, it can be hard to hear, but it's just like, how can we shift our gears to just be a better ally or be a better supporter rather than just posting something? Cause you can easily take that down. It's sure. Yeah. It's a fad for about a week or two, but yeah. what next? Like what yeah. happens afterwards? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you and in all, in all complete, my very Sagittarius bluntness, I'm sorry, but <laughs> this shit is not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be comfortable. My ancestors the amount of pain and abuse that they went through and like I'm supposed to make you feel comfortable for standing up for me I'm sorry but that like it's not supposed to be easy this is dismantling centuries of abuse yeah centuries of oppression centuries of colonization centuries of centuries of imperialism centuries of 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 conditioning centuries of ethnic cleansing in some, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not supposed to be comfortable. This is not supposed to be like, honestly, the infographics are are palatable because they have to be, because otherwise people wouldn't look at it. Yeah, People wouldn't look at it. They won't repost it. They won't repost it because it has to look cute enough to be on your Instagram page, right? Yeah. You know? So f***ed to even think about. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) seriously. And, you know, I... I urge people, and I'm, I mean, I have to be specific because when I say people, I'm I'm black, right? So automatically, I'm always going to be like kind of thinking about black people. Like I'm, that's just how yeah. my brain works. I'm like black people. Like I'm thinking about a reflection of me, but specifically white people who have the privilege and they have the power and they have the support and the resources and the time and energy. Because yeah. when you are not fighting racism when you are not dealing with a microaggression when you're not replaying a conversation with your manager or your boss that made you uncomfortable and you know you're not wrong for feeling that way and you kind of gaslight yourself because you don't want to seem angry when you have the mental space because you are white to do that you really should do that because the rest of us can't do that seriously Mm -hmm. and I mean when I'm doing yoga, when I'm doing meditation, when I'm drinking my tea, it's not just like for funsies. It's, it's, I'm healing myself because I'm healing generations before me that didn't get to do that. Yeah. My great grandmother didn't get to relax and twiddle her thumbs and just chill. She didn't get to do that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So when yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so, I mean it with every fiber of my being, like it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Or do you think we feel, you know what I'm saying? I shouldn't feel my entire body on high alert when I see NYPD on the train when I'm coming back from work. But I am because you know why? I'm black. And at any moment, it doesn't matter that I'm wearing scrubs because I do wear scrubs. You know, I work full time at a a biotech startup (laughs) and I wear scrubs to work and like I know that that doesn't mean anything I know that me being in a uniform and me minding my business doesn't mean anything because at any moment I could be a target I think about that on my way to work yeah that's not but fair. you shouldn't and that's that's and the I thing shouldn't. that's yeah I shouldn't but I do and so many so many of us do and I'm pretty sure all of us do so yeah. like in all sincerity I don't I don't make 
a lot of room for trying to kind of like soothe the comfort or ego of people who should be doing the work because that's not my job. You know what I'm saying? Like my job is, I am a community builder. My job is to try to help provide resources and information and, and dialogue and safety for my community because we, we're healing from our abusers. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, I'm not yeah. worried about that because that's not my focus. Yeah. Uh, one, one thought that came across my mind was, you know, the fact is, is just like you, myself, when I, even my Instagram handle, it's like your local lovable brown woman. Like my first thought, <laughs> the first thought that comes to my mind first mm-hmm. is the color of my skin, because I've been conditioned to think yeah. about the fact that I am a brown person yeah. and how that's yeah. affected me. And for those people yeah. that have privilege that are looking to be allies, right? I've, I've had instances and we talked about this in the last episode where like white people were asking me when I experienced a microaggression at work, they Mm. were, they were asking me whether or not they should step in and have said something. And my first thought was I experienced this every day. I experienced this every day. So like this person doing this to me, it's like just another thing that happens. Right. Exactly. And so when they asked me, I was like, you felt uncomfortable because you realized that that was up. So if you recognize that you should be doing that for me instead of having me do the emotional labor to stand up for myself Mm -hmm. just for being who I am. And there's one thing that I wrote here about allyship. And I thought it just resonated so closely with what we said, but like allyship is not an identity. It's a lifelong process of building relationships based on trust, consistency, and accountability with marginalized groups of people. And Mm. I think that's like, that is what people need to take away from this conversation. Hell yes. (laughs) Co-sign. Seriously. That's a great definition. And just a kind of jumping back, because you said so many amazing things. Uh, one of the other things you brought up was also the fact that, you know, a lot of these arrests and incidents are being recorded and posted online mm-hmm. regularly. So mm-hmm. I have my own issues with the police. Annika knows this. I, you know, f- the police, that's really me. Um, <laughs> so how has how do you think that having this kind of transparency has increased further distrust with the police with other authoritative officials Hmm. i mean cops don't like to uh, be told what to do cops don't like i mean that's quote-unquote their job right they tell us what to do but they don't like that we are like fighting back and being like no y'all first of all you can't do that to me you know what I'm saying or even if you're just somebody that's walking by and you're realizing like oh that person what I've noticed now especially in New York is if if there are cops around especially like around a black person or if they stop a black person in a car people will slow down just to like see what's going on and it's kind of I think yeah people will people slow down and see what's going on Mm -hmm. or there might just be one random person like kind of like standing by just to, like just to check like okay is everything okay that's here that's good that's good I'm you know glad so that people we, are more aware yeah yeah so I think at community wise like we we are more like aware like okay we have to have each other's back because 
if what happened to George Floyd was not recorded, I guarantee you, we may have not even gotten the verdict that we got. Mm. One thing I'm grateful for is that I am not, and I never will be desensitized to Black pain, ever. I don't, I don't care how many times it's been circulated. I will not engage with that. It's abusive. It's mm-hmm. very abusive. I don't want those images replaying in my head. It is not healthy to me. I know what happened. I'm aware. I can read. I can read descriptions of things and know enough. I don't need to ever, ever see a Black person being hurt or shot. I refuse. So I think that in that sense, it is helpful because we have each other's backs. We are more aware and they're aware that we're watching them too, you know? But I think, you know, the fact that a a cop can turn off their body cam and just go about their day, that's dangerous too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's not that's not safe for us. So yeah, needs to be a whole lot of abolishment, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just back to the the Chauvin case with the trial that recently happened, you know, everyone was on the edge of their seats. Um, I was, you know, watching it on on news while I was like trying to do my work at the same Mm -hmm. time. You were probably doing the same thing as well. Through this trial, we learned the difference between justice and accountability. How is this a way forward into a systemic change for marginalized communities? So I think that for Black people, specifically me, just as a Black woman, I think that this verdict was very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. In the sense that we knew, we all saw what f-ing happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think it was, I, I was angry that we even had to do this entire convincing of a jury that, oh yeah, this is, no, we all saw it. We were all there. For you know whole what I'm year. saying? Like, no, we all saw who did it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? What I'm saying is that when you see something in broad daylight, a lot of times people believe it and they say, oh, that's why there's eyewitnesses. And they're like, okay, well, I have an account of this, but we all saw it on a national scale. And there was still a doubt that he murdered this innocent man. You know what I'm saying? Um, innocent or not, there's no reason to ever murder someone. No. Like that, no. like that was just, you know, and I think that I, I, I saw very few people expressing the verdict as, justice you know I think we were all collectively like okay a little bit sigh of relief but it's only a sigh of relief because we got little glimmer of accountability mm-hmm. now let's do more what what's what's going on you know in terms of how can we take this example and amplify it Breonna Taylor's killers are not you know they haven't been Absolutely. brought to yeah, Mike Brown, <laughs> Trayvon yeah, Martin, Philando Castile, like Eric Garner, like all, all of Sandra Bland. It's, it's, I'm just taking a moment because every time I talk about it, it gets me really, 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 really angry and very emotional. But I'm just so sick and tired of having to like prove our existence and our livelihood. And we are allowed to take up space. Like Black people are allowed to take up space. We, should be able to breathe and play and love and exist peacefully. And it should never be this violent response to us demanding justice. And I think the accountability, yeah, I guess in a sense, it, there was a bit of accountability, but at what cost? At George Floyd's life? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it cost. Yeah. 
that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. And thank you so much for just being so candid and just so open because it is hard to have these conversations yeah. Yeah. and just thank you for even having these conversations with us. Right. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. We really thank appreciate you. your vulnerability and just being open here as well. So yeah. Thank you for opening up room and dialogue because these, this shit needs to, to be talked about like a year later. I'm actually, I, I respect the fact that you both sat down and thought so intentionally about this conversation a year later. Cause it's not just when it's a trending topic, it's after five years ago, we should still be talking about this. 20 years from now, we should still be talking about this. Hopefully it'll be different and things will change. However, we should always be talking about this because it is that important and it holds that much weight. So yeah. thank you both because it's important. As we kind of wrap things up, we talked about this a little bit, but how can we support one another as, you know, people of color and how can we support our BIPOC friends, our Black friends, our Indigenous Latinx friends during these times that are yeah. so tender for a lot of people? Yeah, I think that um, BIPOC solidarity is super important. I think just right now we are, we're in solidarity with each other. We're from different ethnic backgrounds, but I mean, the fact that we can have this conversation with so much, um, fluidity, I think really shows that there is solidarity that should be observed in practice, um, not just here, but everywhere. So I think that listening is super important, but also, Understanding this is not the oppression Olympics either. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that having backlash from other minority groups of, oh, well, when it's our turn, you guys don't do this or you don't do this. Or, you know, I, I see a lot of comparison to Black Lives Matter when it comes to other um, social justice movements, which I, I do understand because it is probably the most highlighted social justice movement we've had in the last 25 years. But it's not a competition. And the only reason it has to be so highlighted is because of what we face on a daily basis. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not as if it's in vain, right? So mm -hmm. I think understanding that each community or each marginalized group has its own history and has its own present. So honoring that and respecting that. And, you know, there's things that I'm learning about especially with all of the hate and violence towards the Asian American community and the Asian community in general, um, not just Asian American because it's not just in America, right? So lear I'm learning more about it. And I am standing in solidarity with my, my fellow Asian community as well because the violence is unacceptable. It just brings, it brings us down when we are trying to compete with each other. And I do believe that there is more strength in numbers when, when if I, if I know that I have the support of another Asian person or another Latinx person, I, I do feel that there is more of a ripple effect because I'm not just talking to my community now, they're talking to their communities as well and vice versa. So that's really important. It's not just this singular experience so coming together supporting each other I'm um, supporting each other's work you know I think highlighting and uplifting each other's work is so important and um, sharing you know if there's I actually I did um, a panel for USC last month and 
one of the participants in the in the workshop asked about spaces like virtual spaces that she could explore because she is multiracial and doesn't really feel like she sees herself in any of these spaces mm-hmm. you know I am a black woman so I know you know lots of spaces for black women but she's not she's not a black woman she um is multiracial so I sent her a bunch of pages that I already follow because I'm like you know what may this is what you may need right like I I may need something different and I do need something different and I have that but this is for you you know like everybody has different needs and I think as minority groups we have to just support each other but also learn each other's history as well check those out yeah that's awesome well thank you so much Priscilla this was amazing like I feel nourished after having this conversation. (laughs) I actually do. Um, And I feel like this is something that a lot of our listeners need to hear because this is something we care about. Uh, You know, Chit Talk is so, so vocal about social activism on our platform. And we want to, we want to really represent ourselves in that way. And, you know, by having you come on and speak about mental health for the BIPOC community and the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we're hearing it from people that, that actually experience those things. And so thank you so much for just being so vulnerable and open with us. I am so thankful for you. you. Thank you. I appreciate you both. Yeah, thank you. This is such a dynamic conversation. You know, I think I got to revisit a lot of things that I haven't even had a chance to reflect on fully since last year. So Thank you both for having this and for holding space. Um, And I'm really glad to see that we can find things in common, you know, like you're all the way in Vancouver and I'm all the way in Brooklyn, but like, look (laughs) at us thriving. Yes. (laughs) Also, before we hop mm -hmm. off the uh, recording, where can people find you? A shameless plug time. Where's your um, Instagram, your YouTube, any other blogs that you have? Yes, for sure. So you can follow us at Sadie, S-A-D-D-I-E underscore baddies, B-A-D-D-I-E-S on Instagram. And that is our handle on all social media platforms as well. Um, Twitter, our website, which we have our blog, as well as a whole bunch of resources, um, especially for people of color, which I think is great to always have like readily available resources for us and yeah I mean our YouTube channel is kind of on hiatus however it will be coming back this summer awesome thank you everyone for listening to this amazing episode I can't wait for you all to actually hear it Um, and we hope you have a good rest of your day bye